Welcome to Grit Northwest. I'm Joe Cadwell, the writer, producer, and host of the show. And on today's episode, I will be speaking with Frank Manzo from the Illinois Economic Policy Institute. We'll start our conversation by understanding how Frank teamed up with the academics at Oregon State University to co-author his report on the effect prevailed wage laws have on taxpayer-funded construction projects in the state of Oregon. We'll then look into some of the falsehoods that circulate around prevailed wage projects as we uncover the fact-based truths that only empirical data and in-depth research can provide. Later, we'll unpack how employing skilled labor that is paid a livable wage not only does not raise construction costs, but actually work to lower the cost of building projects while creating strong ties and advancement opportunities within the local community. We'll then investigate how states with no prevailed wage laws stack up in comparison with Oregon, and we'll finish our conversation when Frank shares his thoughts on apprenticeship programs and why he feels they are so crucial in bridging the ever-widening skills gap that is growing in our nation. This episode addresses the importance of why carpenters need to develop an understanding of wage law and why it is so important to take that knowledge to the polls when electing state officials who make career-enhancing or ending decisions such as prevailed wage and right-to-work laws. This episode also attempts to explain why the unlikely pairing of politics and the construction industry makes such a difference in the lives of the working middle class of our nation. Be sure to check out the show notes after the episode to learn more about what prevailed wage laws are and how important they can be in our continued efforts as union carpenters to be able to provide for ourselves and our families. And now, on to the show. Frank Manzo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Joe. Hey, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. I understand you are Zooming in from Illinois, and uh, I first came across you, Frank, by looking at the an article that you were mentioned in with the Northwest Labor Press, in which you talked about uh, Oregon's prevailed wage law. How did you become uh, interested in, in a study for Oregon when you're actually living in Illinois? <laughs> so that's a great question there, Joe. Uh, and the answer is that my organization Uh, We specialize in the construction industry. And so since 2013, I have authored or co-authored nearly 40 reports very specific to state prevailing wage laws just in those last eight years. Uh, And we conduct research with PhD uh, economists and academics from across the nation, including professors from my home state, the University of Illinois, to the University of Utah, uh, Colorado State University, and now the University of Oregon. So I teamed up with the University of Oregon uh, instructor uh, Lena Stepik to release a study on the state's prevailing wage law. And when you talk about your organization, mm-hmm. that is the Illinois Economic Policy Institute. Yeah, great, uh, Joe. Uh, we're I'm the policy director for the Illinois Economic Policy Institute, and we are a nonprofit research organization that promotes thoughtful economic growth for businesses and working families. Uh, and our reports, as I mentioned, are often co-authored with professors like this one from the University of Oregon. And we do this to ensure sound, credible analyses that can withstand public scrutiny uh, on major uh, policy issues. So uh, that's our organization. Uh, our bread and butter is construction. And so that's how we got connected with Dr. Stepik at the, the University of Oregon. Oh, that's excellent. And you went in particularly to look at prevailed wage law and how it affects project cost and uh, workers' wages in the state of Oregon. And what did your research find, Frank? Yeah, it's a a great question. Uh, The research itself, uh, which is grounded in the data, uh, shows that uh, a strong Oregon is built locally with highly trained workers. 
uh, prevailing wage itself levels the playing field from local contractors, increases competition on public projects by 19%, uh, expands apprenticeship training that can help resolve labor or worker shortages that you often hear about, and delivers pathways into the middle class by boosting construction worker wages by as much as 8%. Um, that's all great and, and it's all positive impacts. And some people wonder, well, what are the costs? And, and we find that the prevailing wage has no net costs uh, on taxpayers uh, on publicly funded projects. So prevailing wage provides great value for taxpayers. Um, and as a result, prevailing wage builds quality infrastructure and strong communities across Oregon. So knowing what a good deal prevailed wage is for communities and for workers, why do you think, Frank, that uh, prevailed wage laws uh, on the, uh, the state and uh, federal level have been under attack since the 40s? Uh, that's a very great question. And, and you know, in multiple states through the 2010s uh, weakened or, or unfortunately repealed their uh, prevailing wage laws. And many of those states are in my backyard in the Midwest here. And so that's one of the reasons we got acquainted with those very quickly <laughs> in, the, in the 2010s. Uh, lawmakers in those states, uh, their purported or stated reason for weakening or repealing prevailing wage was that prevailing wage somehow kind of artificially inflates costs on taxpayer-funded construction projects. And so they would say, well, look at these union guys over here. They're making 40 bucks an hour, but I got a non-union guy and the average wage, it can be $20 an hour. So this is a, you know, it's two times more expensive. And so just by that nature, uh, the project has to be cheaper if we get rid of prevailing wage. But the research does not show that. Uh, the research, if you don't mind me going on and, and talking a little bit about it, not is that all. prevailing wage stabilizes construction costs. And so since 2000, 83% of the peer-reviewed academic studies have concluded that prevailing wage laws have no impact on public construction costs. Well, that's fantastic. And again, I think it, it comes down to the old adage that uh, skilled labor isn't cheap and cheap labor isn't skilled. That's something that uh, is easy to, to put on a hard hat sticker, and it's, it, but it sounds like it holds a lot of truth according to the research. And when you do this type of research, what, where exactly do you start? That's well, a great question. Uh, and, and I want to actually touch on the first thing you mentioned, uh, the, the old adage, because that's the deal that I, that I um, have found is most important to, to uh, mention to not only the public, but to lawmakers. Uh, construction is not low-skilled work. Uh, you know, on average, in Oregon, an apprentice must go through about 7,000 hours of on-the-job training. And that's more hours than what's required to graduate from state universities. So in particular, the Joint Labor Management Apprenticeship Programs in Construction, uh, which, by the way, train you know, six out of every 10 construction apprentices in the state, they deliver training hours, competitive earnings, and diversity outcomes that rival the performance of public four-year universities. So that was an important point that you made, and I wanted to kind of elaborate on it with what the, uh, the data that we had in the report. You know, it's important that registered apprenticeship programs are the bachelor's degrees of the construction industry, and, and folks need to kind of be aware of that. Well, I agree wholeheartedly as an apprentice coordinator with the Pacific Northwest Carpenters Institute, one of our regional training centers here in the Northwest uh, for the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners of America. I can attest that, yeah, those apprentices, uh, they are uh, worked in that four-year construction college, both out in the field. 90% of their training comes out in the field under the uh, 
tutelage of a, a skilled journey level worker, and then they have mm-hmm. approximately ten percent of the uh, the academic hours in house. But they uh, they earn that degree, they earn that uh, mm-hmm. that wage, those benefits, those safer working conditions, the representation, the pension, and uh, nothing is given away. Um, wow. So I'm I'm wholeheartedly uh, in in favor of. Uh, hearing what you're saying. And, and again, how did the, how does the research take place? Yeah. So I apologize for, for that, uh, the side note there, Joe, but, uh, but I'll go ahead and tell you that there's, there's a lot of ways to, to study a prevailing wage law. But what we did is we compared economic and construction industry outcomes in Oregon with their, with neighboring States in particular, Washington and Idaho. Uh, we use census data to, Evaluate things like income and healthcare and poverty uh, between you know over the last decade essentially, uh, and then when we also have nearly 300 highway projects in Oregon and Idaho uh, between 2018 and 2020, so kind of a three-year period where we have 300 highway projects in those two states. And in a nutshell, what we do is we compare these outcomes between Oregon and Idaho in particular. Idaho does not have a, a state prevailing wage law. And Oregon, and at times, you know, Washington. Washington had a stronger prevailing wage law at the time we were studying this report or uh, undertaking this, this study. So uh, we control for other important factors, and that's important to note. Uh, there are many things that could influence how much a worker earns. You know, unfortunately, things like race and gender have a have a, have a role. Uh, you know, in every industry, not just construction, uh, but we control for that. And after we control for that, we still see that uh, Oregon's prevailing wage law boosts construction worker earnings by 8% and even more for those at the lower end of the income scale. So uh, that's how we approach it. It's, it's a re- kind of the, the way economists often approach it. And it's uh, something that uh, you know, withstands public scrutiny. So in comparison in the states that don't have prevailed wage laws, like our mm-hmm. uh, one of the states in our regional council, Idaho, have, has there been research done to see what happens to production costs in these non-prevailed wa- uh, wage states? Now, a quick break in the action for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Union Home Plus. Union Home Plus has been in the business since 2002, helping Northwest Carpenter families, just like yours, save money when they buy, sell, or finance their home. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard me talk with Patrick Town, the Director of Operations over at Union Home Plus. Patrick and his team of finance and real estate professionals are dedicated to helping you make the right decisions with what many consider to be the cornerstone of the American dream, home ownership. For more information, be sure to check out the show notes in today's episode or visit unionhomeplus.org on the web. Union Home Plus helping Northwest Carpenter families find their way home for nearly 20 years. And now back to the show. So certainly there is. Um, in the, the first kind of key point in, the, in this research, and it goes exactly back to what we had mentioned earlier on, on apprenticeship training, because uh, apprenticeship training and worker productivity is an important determinant of production costs. So the first kind of body of research is that uh, prevailing wage attracts and develops skilled workers by including apprenticeship contributions in with labor costs. Uh, so the economic research shows that apprenticeship enrollments are up to 8% higher in states with prevailing wage standards versus states that do not have prevailing wage. And Oregon is no different. So the, the story between Oregon and Idaho is that Oregon has 12 apprentices per 100 construction workers. So 12 apprentices for every 100 construction workers. And then that ratio is less than six in neighboring Idaho, right? So it's 
double the amount of apprentices relative to the size of the industry. Um, and it's important to note that right now we're in a situation where 57% of contractors in, in Oregon are, are reporting that they are having a hard time filling craft worker positions. Uh, prevailing wage is an important safeguard by promoting investment in apprenticeship training and encouraging skilled young workers to enter the trades. So that's the first kind of body of research and the first kind of step uh, in how you uh, might often measure production costs. Yeah, that's for sure. There is definitely a widening skills gap out there. The uh, demographics are, are showing that a huge number of the baby boomer generation, the Gen X generation are, are uh, retiring now. And then the, uh, the demographic to, to fill in there is, is um, not necessarily wanting to step up and, and get their hands as dirty as, uh, as you would imagine. And so the, the skills gap is, is ever widening. And we're talking about, you know, um, prevailed wage, but uh, right to work is kind of goes hand in hand with that. And again, our, our uh, state over to the, uh, to the east of Oregon here, Idaho went right to work some years ago. And along with it came the, uh, uh, the, the repeal of the uh, prevailed wage law and then the ever increasing uh, race to the bottom, it seems, uh, the cost in Idaho uh, continue to go up, but the uh, what our carpenters are making over there is unfortunately not keeping up because we just don't have the market share to be able to control the market and ask for those livable wages uh, for our carpenters, and it's unfortunate. And like you say, then the uh, the contractors can't compete, the, uh, the the workers don't have the work, and they find themselves uh, moving over to Oregon and Idaho in order to I'm sorry, over to uh, Oregon, Washington State, in order to do the work. And it's a it's a vicious cycle that that continues to repeat. Yeah, Joe, you know, you mentioned the link between right to work laws and, and, and the repeal of prevailing wage. And that's, as I mentioned, these kind of especially the Midwestern states that uh, in the past decade uh, went right to work are also the, basically the same states that repealed their state prevailing wage laws. And I, I do want to, uh, you know, turn your attention and, and, and point your uh, uh, listeners to another study that I that I re- released in 2021 uh, with the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, uh, comparing states that have these so-called right-to-work laws versus the free collective bargaining states. Um, and on every single important economic uh, health and community metric that we look at, uh, right-to-work states do worse than the states that support collective bargaining and workers' rights. Um, and I'm talking about not only wages and healthcare care uh, benefits and pension benefits, but things like life expectancy, uh, consumer debt levels. Uh, civic participation, whether or not you even vote in an election. These things are, you know, states that support workers uh, do better on every single metric. Uh, and, you know, the other thing that's often brought up is, well, don't these right-to-work states, don't, aren't they all growing much faster than, than the states that support workers' rights? And since 2010, the answer is no. Since 2010, uh, collective bargaining states have grown 3% faster than so-called right-to-work states. So even that claim is wrong. Right. I see that uh, the state of West Virginia uh, a few yeah. years ago went, uh, went right to work, and they're now paying people to move into the state mm-hmm. and, uh, because they just cannot uh, find enough employment for these folks, even though the, uh, no one wants to work uh, longer hours or uh, two jobs, three jobs in order to make ends meet. So people have actually left the state of uh, West Virginia, and now they're being encouraged to move back by a, a bonus from the, from the government. So with all of this said, how... Uh, where do you see the future of right to work and, uh, and, and prevailed wage laws in, in the country? Increasingly, states are 
struggling with the uh, aftermath and consequences of these uh, policy changes. So uh, you mentioned West Virginia and West Virginia's governor, Jim Justice, a Republican, recently admitted that right to work and the repeal of of prevailing wage laws did not attract workers uh, and population to his state as they had promised. So he admitted that that didn't work. We have a state like uh, Montana that the Republican-controlled legislature uh, voted against adopting a so-called right-to-work law and voted against uh, weakening or repealing their state prevailing wage law. And then we also have another Republican-majority state where voters uh, rejected right to work, and that is Missouri in 2018. They rejected right to work by uh, 67% voting no. So we have voters in a Republican majority state, lawmakers in a Republican majority state, and a governor of a Republican majority state all saying that, you know, this was a, this is not what we're, we signed up for, I guess is kind of what, uh, how I might put that. So I think, and the research is increasingly showing that, you know, they're not mistaken. Um, whether it's this study here in Oregon where we're looking at prevailing wage only and we're seeing that, you know, blue collar construction worker wages uh, increase with with uh, state prevailing wage law. And we see that the economy is strengthened where the state prevailing wage law and, and I'm saying I should say the, the prevailing wage rate law is the official term for it in Oregon. Uh, that policy itself creates over 5000 jobs and boosts the economy by nearly a billion dollars per year while also generating additional state and local tax revenues and keeping workers off government assistance programs. This, the data is very clear and it's very consistent. I mentioned it earlier that a strong state, you know, XYZ state doesn't, it's true for every single state, but a strong Oregon is, is built using uh, local skilled workers. And we recently passed a, uh, a bill, I believe it's on the governor's desk to be signed as we speak now in the uh, beginning of June, that is going to further ensure that we keep prevailed wage laws strong in the state of Oregon. Uh, the Bureau of Labor and Industry was doing a, uh, a survey every other uh, year in order to gauge the amount of work that was being done. And uh, it really kind of skewed the numbers and made it very ineffectual for, uh, for um, labor unions to prevail in certain counties throughout the state. And uh, we were successful. The Carpenters Union was successful in bringing a bill to the uh, uh, to Salem and getting that uh, antiquated survey system uh, replaced with something that's more reflective of current times and, and is definitely going to be a big win for the working class in the state of Oregon. So it's important you bring that up, Joe. Um, and, and I agree with kind of with your assessment on what on kind of the impact that the uh, that the policy change will have on the state of Oregon. Um, I think it is important to, to note, and, I, and we, I didn't say this from the outset, um, and maybe your, your listeners are, are well aware, but just to kind of define prevailing wage, prevailing wage uh, is a local minimum wage for uh, skilled construction workers on public uh, construction projects, you know, and it's based on what workers are actually earned in a community. Uh, the main purpose is to create a level playing field for contractors uh, to ensure that taxpayer dollars are reflecting local standards of compensation and craftsmanship. Um, and it's important in Oregon because Oregon has declared the purposes of its prevailing wage rate law. Uh, it's the only state that I'm aware of that that's, but it's the best definition I should say that is uh, that I'm aware of for a state to say we have this law and here's why we have it. And the purposes uh, that are have been declared are to promote competition that maintains community established compensation standards that pay family income and benefits 
and also encourage training and education of workers to industry skills standards. Some of those are quotes from, from, the, from the law and the purposes. But uh, the, the new bill that, that would strengthen prevailing wage would attach uh, the prevailing wage rates to collectively bargained rates uh, that are privately negotiated between workers and their employers. Uh, and, you know, you, you talk to anyone about, about collective bargaining rates, I, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who does not think that they reflect community-established compensation standards, that they do not pay family income and benefits, and that they do not invest in apprenticeship training because, uh, in fact, they do all three of those. So by attaching it to uh, collectively bargained rates, you're, you're really uh, living up to the purposes, the stated purposes of the prevailing wage rate law. That's for sure. And it, it really is a win-win for the, uh, for the workers and for the uh, communities. And again, it's a, just an amazingly clever uh, slogan, right to work, and, uh, and, and then the uh, subsequent repeal of uh, prevailed wage laws. But uh, it, is, it is definitely right to work is wrong for workers, and the repeal of those prevailed wage laws can, uh, can only hurt the, uh, the people that live in the, uh, the local communities. And you had mentioned uh, Montana a little while ago, and I'd actually done a, an earlier podcast on the battle for big sky country, and, uh, and then we, uh, we revisited with one of our council reps, Derek Hitt, uh, in, in the efforts that were made by the uh, organized labor unions in the state of Montana to uh, to send that message that that uh, to the lawmakers there in Helena that uh, the working class would not be uh, uh, be pushed around by out of state corporate lobbyists that were trying to to force that uh, um, right to work uh, law uh, through the bill through the house and fortunately the lawmakers in the state of Montana stood up for the working class and uh, defeated that pretty handedly. But that came right on the heels of losing some very labor-friendly support that we had in both the, uh, uh, the governor and the Senate seat uh, back in 20, um, 2020, the elections. And so we've always got to be on the guard for sure. So Frank, this has been a fantastic conversation. Where can folks go to find out more about you and the Illinois Economic Policy Institute? So great question, Joe. Uh, the Illinois Economic Policy Institute has uh, a website, a Facebook, an Instagram, and a Twitter account at this stage, and also a LinkedIn account uh, if you want to connect with us on any of those platforms. But the way to connect with us is to either search Illinois Economic Policy Institute, IllinoisEPI.org, uh, and we are Illinois EPI on all platforms. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Frank Manzo, for taking your time to be on the show. I look forward to hopefully having you back again. It's really been fun. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Anytime, happy to talk about anything construction, worker-related, apprenticeship training, you name it. So uh, we'd love to be back on. My guest today has been Frank Manzo from the Illinois Economic Policy Institute. To find out more about prevailed wage law and the building trades, be sure to check out the show notes on your smart device or by visiting the Grit Northwest website at buildnw.org forward slash podcast. Well, that wraps up this episode of Grit Northwest. If you know someone you think might benefit from this episode, please be sure to share it with them. If you haven't already joined the nation, what are you waiting for? Look for the link in the show notes or by visiting the website. You'll be eligible to win Grit Swag and an exclusive backstage access pass to get an even more in-depth look into the show's making and content. All this and more when you join the Grit Nation. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, this is Joe Cadwell reminding you to work safe, work smart, and stay union strong.